0: Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello there, faithful Disability After Dark listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to a brand new episode of this program. I am so excited that you want to shine a bright light on sex and disability. I am your Crip Crush Monday. My name is Andrew Gerza. I'll be your host. Let's dive right into a brand new show. I talked a few weeks ago about working as a queer cripple, probably about two shows ago. I talked about working as a queer cripple and what that has meant for me as a queer cripple, really, and how important it has been for me to create a platform for myself with this podcast, with some of the other work that I've done and all that stuff. I've also talked to several guests on the program, about the importance of media representation for queer people with disabilities and how that could and would transform our understanding of sex, queerness, and disability and also what that might look like to an audience. Well, I have some more insight into that and I want to share with you my only little brush with fame. Canadian fame and representation in doing this my little Canadian moment where I was able to really look at how sexuality, disability, and queerness might collide together and what that collision looked like for me. And I mean collision in the best possible way. It was a really interesting experience and I want to share that with you. So back in the summer of 2013, I was sitting at home and I was just bumming around the internet looking for ways that I could expand the work I was doing, and I had just newly minted those cards that said, Andrew Gerza, Disability Awareness Consultant. I have a ton of them now, but at the time they were brand new, and it was a whole new thing. So I was just starting out what I was doing. Um, if there was an 80s montage of what I was doing, you can picture me, like, going on the internet. Not that it would have done that in the 80s, but if there was, like, a montage-type thing of what I was doing. It was, like, business cards and emailing and a lot of cold emailing to, to companies saying I I want to talk about this. Can we talk about this? I still do a lot of that, but that's a lot of what I was doing at the time. And I decided to email MTV Canada because I remember a friend of mine had said somebody years ago had approached somebody in the cast and said you should have a disabled character on your show um, or a disabled cast member of of the show, this Canadian show called One Girl, Five Gays. And it was on the brand new newly formed MTV Canada, which had just kind of launched and in in Toronto at the time. Um, I say it at the time like it was so long ago, but it really was about four and a half years ago, and it felt like forever ago. But it, but MTV Canada was kind of a newer entity at that point. Um, so I sent an email to MTV Canada for the show One Girl, Five Gays. They were on their fourth season of... This Canadian gem. And really, if you watch the first four seasons of the show, there are some seriously amazing characters. Michael Yerksa was there. Ian Lynch was there. Philip Tetro was there. There were amazing characters on the show that really that really showed us queerness in a whole different lens than I think we had seen before. Um, for anybody listening who's like, what is this show, One Girl, Five Gays? It was a little show filmed in downtown Toronto and it featured five gay men, and one girl, delving into pop culture topics and silliness on camera. So it was a big studio. Well, not a big studio. It was a big studio production of like, of like what would now be considered, I guess, like, the View almost for gay men for young queer gay men. It was really groundbreaking for its time because we had never seen anything like that, and I don't think to this day. We still have a show either on American or Canadian television that that centers real gay men really, really talking about their lives like that. I don't really think I've seen anything similar to that. So this was a little Canadian gem that people in Toronto and in Canada knew about. And I think the first four seasons and maybe the fifth season were on Logo in the States, briefly. They sometimes don't do reruns, is what I've heard. Uh, but it was kind of a big deal if you were a queer man, or if you were apparently a high school student, or the parent of a high school student, you would watch this show. So it was filmed in downtown Toronto, and if you're a Canadian small town boy, which I was, anything that's being filmed in downtown Toronto is as if it's being filmed in New York. And that's how I, because I lived outside of the city for years and years. I live in the city proper now, but for years and years I didn't live there. So it was like living, it was like, wow, they film it in downtown Toronto? That's a big deal. It was like really a big deal to, to, to be in Toronto when anything is being filmed. If you've seen anything on a movie set now, Toronto doubles as an American city all the time. But to have something filmed in Toronto, as Toronto, as Canadian, it's a big deal. All Canadians know this. It's a pretty. It's a big deal. Um, so anyway, I digress. I sent them an email to let them know that I could provide them a unique perspective as a queer disabled person on their show. Um, and after sending it out, sending this email out, which was so like, hey, my name's Andrew, and I'm a disability awareness consultant. I'd love to be on your show. And I, I think I said something like, I want to be on one episode. I would love it. Thank you so much. Really not thinking it would evolve into anything at all. Because, um, you know, who really thinks they're ever going to be on TV? We send a bunch of these requests sometimes, hoping that something will happen, but knowing deep in our hearts that nothing will actually happen. And that's what I thought. I thought, well, they're never going to hire me. I'm the disabled kid. They're never going to want me for anything. But, I, but at least I put it out there. At least I, I made... I'm aware that I wanted to look into something like this so I was like oh that's never gonna happen and then something did happen I remember getting an email from their media team one day asking me if I wanted to come down and audition I freaked out I have in the notes here quote I remember quietly smirking about it all day and agreeing to do it without any hesitation that part's true. The no hesitation part is totally the truth. Uh, the quietly smirking part's a big fat lie. I'm pretty sure I screamed in my room for like ten minutes. I was like a fifteen year old kid freaking out when I was about twenty seven when this happened, and I was so excited because again, you never think it's gonna happen. So I said, "Of course I'll come down." When would you like me to come down? And we set a date. We set actually we had to set three dates because my leg bag, my condom catheter pee thing kept breaking and when I was on the way there, um, so I had to keep rescheduling and calling these production people, these big-time, well, they weren't big-time, but at the time I thought they were big-time production people, and saying I can't come in because my condom catheter broke, and being like, great, thanks, disability, like, why is this happening to me right now? They were gracious enough to reschedule each time, each time they were like, "No problem. We really want you to come in. Please come in." So, and telling them my pee bag had broken was like not a glamorous thing. I was like, "How how am I going to explain to these production people that this is happening?" Um. So, after the third time, I finally got down to the to the studio for the audition, and I was so nervous because I was going to meet MTV Canada people, and I was like, "This is a big deal again." I was a small town boy from a small town, Cana- from a small Canadian town, going to a big time Toronto audition. It was a huge deal for me, and again, I was like the disabled kid doing a thing, and it was like really exciting for me to be disabled and to do the thing. So it was, I, I it was probably re- totally normal and didn't amount to lots, but for me, it was like this is important. This is a big deal. And I think just for representation, the fact that I was disabled and got an audition and got asked to do that meant a lot for me and for probably the studio at the time. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark is brought to you in part by La Petite More. La Petite More is a Hamilton, Ontario, Canada-based sex toy company operated by Haroon Sperling. A 1NB operation, they are committed to body safety, body positivity, and a gender-neutral approach to their toys. Head to PetiteMore.ca to check them out and be sure to use coupon code AFTERDARK for free shipping at checkout. Petitemore.ca Adult. Queer. Safe. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hi, my name is Darren, and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. And we're back. I want to thank my sponsors, Come As You Are, and my brand new sponsor, Le Petit More, uh, an online sex shop based out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. They just signed on as a sponsor. I'm really excited to have them, and you should certainly check them out. I want to thank Haroon Sperling for setting that up and agreeing to be a sponsor. That's great. Also want to thank... All of the people that listen to the show, our numbers are really, really high right now. This is great. This is amazing. Thank you. Um, I also want to thank anybody who pledges via Patreon. That's awesome. Means the world is really important. Thank you, thank you. also want to thank anybody who has recorded their voice for a little... I listen to Disability After Dark. That's great. If you want to do one of those, let me know and we'll get you set up. I also, I just want to thank everybody for making this show go, really. So thank you, everyone. Enough gushing now, let's get back to Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. So I was there for my audition and I was super nervous to meet these MTV Canada executive people. I was really nervous to do all of this. I was excited that I had a shot, I was excited to even be there, I was also really nervous. Um, the irony of that—of ner- the nerves I had there, standing in front of the MTV execs and being worried about what to say, the irony was that two years later, I'd have a naked photo of myself all over Toronto and internationally. So, so it's weird that I was nervous, because literally two years after that, I was naked all over the city in a photo for the city. So it's just kind of funny that I was so scared. Uh, And now I would have no problem being naked in front of people and telling all my embarrassing stories, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, So I remember they asked me to come in and tell them embarrassing stories, and so I wheeled into the center of the room with my chair, and I nervously started telling many of the stories that you all have heard by now on the podcast. Blowjob stories, locked my room stories, my first-time stories... Etc., cetera, etc., cetera, ad nauseum, infinitum. I remember being so excited to tell these stories because I hadn't really been given the chance to share these experiences at that point. And I wasn't, you know, doing a podcast. And I wasn't, I was writing a little bit here and there, but I wasn't kind of doing anything with this stuff. I hadn't told a lot of these stories. And I was telling these people to their face, like, this is what happened. Here's how I felt. Here's how disability factored into that. And I remember even in the audition, Telling them how disability factored into much of what I was dealing with, and have and making sure they understood that disability was a huge part of this. Um, the irony of telling all those stories is that again in a couple years, like right now, I would decide to have my own platform, and I would soon have my own place where I could tell all these stories for myself, by myself, and I could produce all this stuff on my own. So. The MTV gig, while I was scared of it, it really helped me to see what it is that I wanted to to do later in my career, which I, again, think was super important for me and super um, necessary. I remember the production people asked me, like, why do do you want to be on the show? Why, Why are you here? What does this mean for you? And I reiterated about seven times between my stories and just talking, that disability representation on this program was super, super, really, really important for me. I, I, I must have told them that like 25 times, honestly, quite, quite realistically, I reiterated it so much. I wanted them to know that I was coming in there with a mission, a purpose. I wasn't there to play a two-dimensional cardboard cutout of a gay guy character I had a reason for being there, and I was going to utilize that reason to, to have my voice be heard by somebody watching at home who looked like me, who needed a role model, who needed somebody who looked like them, and that's why I was there. That was what my purpose was, and I made them know it. I made them. I made it very clear to them that this is why I was there. Halfway through the audition process, they told me that I got. they wanted to work with me and they're, they're like, we never do this, we never tell anybody this, but we want to work with you and we want to have you on the show. What do you think about that? And I was floored. I was so excited. I didn't know what to do because again, small town Canadian boy, disabled Canadian boy, disabled queer Canadian boy getting a shot to be a disabled queer Canadian boy on television. So it was a big deal. It was like, it was like winning American Idol for me first. It was like being Kelly Clarkson winning winning American Idol or, or getting getting the golden ticket to Hollywood North, I guess you could say. It was kind of like that for me. Um, I was so excited. I knew that this meant big, big things, and I knew that this would provide, provide a template for queer, disabled people, hopefully, to see themselves on television somewhere. Somewhere in some way. I mean, again, it was a small production. It didn't go super far. But maybe it would help somebody. And maybe it would help other queer men see disability as something viable. I mean, the show was pretty ballsy, for lack of a better word, in getting us to talk about our sex lives. So maybe if I talked about that as a queer disabled man, it might change things within my community. That was my hope, anyway. And I went home that day And I didn't tell anybody for, I got on the the big handy transit bus, and I didn't tell anybody for a couple hours. Like, I just stayed quiet and kind of, I literally, this time I did stay quiet. I was quiet and giggly and giddy and weird about it because I was like, this is, I need to, this was my thing. And I wanted to, like, cherish the moment for myself and not get get too ahead. And I was also worried that, like, if, if I told everybody, it would disappear. And it would never happen. And I didn't really want to believe that any of it had happened because, again, ableism in these in these instances also means that you don't believe you're worth it as a disabled person to give, be given shots like this. So when this came along, even though I know I had gotten it, I didn't believe that it was happening. And also, they were going to pay, which was a whole other thing that I was like, what? You're going to pay me to be on your show? This is awesome, but I don't believe any of this. Any of this. And I really didn't. At some point before I filmed, I sat down with Mike Yerksa, and if you follow the show from season one to season four, and maybe possibly the end of season six, he was there for a couple episodes. Um, well, he was a he was a he was one of the stars from season one to season four, but then season six when they did their All Star season, he was part of it. So. Mike so was a big deal, and he kind of got a lot of recognition in and around Toronto in our community for being a, a member of uh, that cast. And he was somebody who I looked up to, and I, I just randomly messaged him on Facebook prior to, to my first recording. And I said, Can, can we go up for dinner and just chat about this thing? Because I'm kind of scared, and you don't know me, but I, I just want to talk to you. And we didn't know each other at all, and we, ha- we sat down and had dinner. He was so sweet about it, and he said to me, you know, um, he said something super humbling. He told me that it wouldn't, this thing wouldn't make me famous. It wouldn't make me gay famous. It wouldn't make me famous really in any way. Um, And he said, the book deal is not going to come from this. The book deal and the TV deal and all the things you want are not going to come from this. And that if I wanted that kind of recognition, I had to do it myself. Had to go after it myself, and that was super humbling to hear, because I did have visions of being the queer disabled guy, and from this experience, being on Canadian television, I would have, you know, all this Canadian fame and all this, and a ton of gay sex, because I was on a gay show. So I must be going to be getting laid from it, right? That's, that was the fantasy that I had, and he, really quickly, was like, nope. None of that's going to occur. Don't think like that. And he really pushed me to pursue stuff on my own and really made me see that I had to, if I wanted this disability and queer thing to go, I had to do the work myself. And I don't know if he knows it and Mike, you're excited you're listening. Um, you you that that conversation we had years ago has always stuck with me. and thank you for telling me that and being so honest about it because it really, humbled me and pushed me to do the work I'm doing now. It really did. It really pushed me to do what I am doing right now in that conversation. I will never, ever forget it. And and if you go on the Canadian version of this, where this podcast is on iTunes, Mike Yerkes leaves an amazing review of just a few episodes he listened to, and I can't thank him enough for that. And I can't thank him enough for the advice he gave me that night. What's funny about the interactions with Mike Yerkes and I since then... We went to a party a couple years ago and we were at the same party and it was somebody's birthday and we were having cake and he was like, do you want me to feed you cake? And he shoved... <laughs> I was in a harness that night, I can't remember why, for this friend's birthday party and he shoved cake in my mouth and it was we just had a laugh. So Mike Yerxa, if you're in the Toronto area and you bump into Mike Yerksa out at clubs or whatever or see him around the world because he's now... I think he's... I think he's an exec for Amazing Race Canada. Anyway, he travels all over the world being amazing. He has done documentaries on queerness and queerness in different communities. He's somebody who, if you bump into him, he's an amazing guy and somebody who I really admire. But him shoving cake in my mouth later in in our interactions and friendship was really cool. Hilarious, by the way. Just, that's what happened. So, back to my experience on the show. The production team wanted to... I remember they called me up and they emailed me and said, we want to build a ramp to get you on the set. We're going to build a ramp just for you. So, hold out until we get that ramp built, Andrew, and we'll get something built for you. And I thought that that was super cool. Um, I was really happy that they were trying to do that. I was like, this is... Wow. They're really taking steps to make sure that their set is as, is as accessible as possible. Because I think what they were realizing was that they'd never had a wheelchair user on their set before, and they'd never done anything like that before. So they were really trying to figure out what would be the most accessible for me. And I thought that was really, really important and really, really cool that they were really giving it a shot and didn't just say, oh, Andrew, figure it out, figure it out, be there, figure it out. They really did their best to make my experience as accessible as possible. Seeing a production like this, do this for me, showed me that these types of accommodations and these types of of things that could be implemented can be done. And so when we're looking at bigger productions that say, oh, we can't accommodate disability, I'm I'm, I'm always kind of floored because I'm like, what? This little tiny Canadian program made sure that I was as comfortable as possible and did their best to make sure that it would work for me. And you're telling me that you big studios can't accommodate a little bit of disability here? Yeah, right, I don't believe it. That's a cop-out. So if MTV Canada can do it, so can you. Not only that, but the production team also tried to make sure that I was super comfy. They helped me with accessible transit back and forth from home. They helped me take off my coat and like change if I needed to. For a group of young interns working on this program and in entertainment at the time in Toronto who probably had no or very limited experience with disability, they did a pretty solid job of making sure I was okay. And I really have to commend them for that, and I really really enjoyed the experience of being behind the scenes and working with them to make sure that I was alright as a wheelchair user, the only wheelchair user on that set. It was pretty, pretty cool. My entire first day of pre-production, look at me using pretend big words like I know what it was, but my entire first day of pre-production, I was absolutely mortified. They had me come in and they wanted me to film this video of myself, this like spinning video of myself where they would kind of introduce me to the world prior to my episode airing or something, Um, and I remember I'm wearing this horribly bright blue cardigan, which I still have, by the way. Um, and I have hockey hair, which is so, so painfully Canadian, but what it really means is I just hadn't cut my hair in a few weeks, so I had hockey hair, and I'm pretty sure that I look ridiculous, because they wanted to get me to smise, so they had me in this big room with the cameras all around me, going around my chair, and they were trying to block my chair, uh, and get it in the shot, and figure out how to make it look professional with all their lights and stuff, and... They were having me do a bunch of really funny faces to camera, and I had never done anything like this. I I was a nervous wreck. If you've seen me do anything with... And I've said this before. If you've seen me at a photo shoot or asked me to do any kind of face that isn't either smoldering or way too smiley, I can't. So they were trying to get me to do all these sexy poses, and I looked ridiculous. And then... The production PA, Vanessa Vanessa Larkey, was one of the production PAs there. Not not a PA, she was... I I don't remember what her title was, but she worked on the show. She was the one that kind of corralled all of us. And she said to me, Andrew, I need you to smize. And, you know, smizing is smiling with your eyes. And I tried to do that for her in my chair, sat up straight, did the smize, and she goes, okay, that was good. Except you kind of look like a serial killer if you could not do that again. And we just burst out laughing. But it was really fun to be there to watch them try to figure out how to get my chair in the shot and how to make it look sexy and some of the stuff they asked me to talk about my life. I was a nervous wreck because I'd never done anything like this before. So, So as brazen as I am now telling my stories and talking about my stuff... I didn't know how to navigate all that stuff and, and One Girl, Five Gays, my experience there really helped me to hone those experiences into something I could properly talk about because before that I would never done that. So this was, this was all new. On the first day of filming, I got there super early, probably about two hours early because I was coming from out of town to get there. I lived in a whole other hamlet and a whole other part of town that wasn't part of town so it took me a while to get there i got on the handy bus and i got there i went down there um so nervous and i was in their green room for like two hours they plied me with sandwiches and food which i was really thankful about they were great so you sat there and you watched like mtv canada shows for an hour or two until the rest of the cast came in um they usually did tapings from seven to nine or eight to ten sometimes depending on the times Uh, And so I'll never forget what I was wearing. I actually have a picture of myself on the first night of taping. I look, again, ridiculous. I look, I, I can only describe this look as dad clothes. I was wearing a bright pink golf shirt and docker pants. You know the ones, the ones that make you look like you're about 45 and you're a little bit depressed with your life. That's what I was wearing that night, with my hockey hair. Hadn't cut my hair in a while, so I looked kind of ridiculous, not gonna lie, a little bit ridiculous for sure. I was trying to look, I suppose, quote, professional, because I felt the responsibility and weight of being the only visibly disabled character on that show. I have a picture of what I was wearing, which I will put on my... Patreon page for all of you to look at So if you want to subscribe To the Patreon And see kind of how I looked And you want to see Like what I was I I also tried to find a clip Of the show to put on the Patreon To like to, to, To show you but I couldn't It wouldn't work I tried all the browsers and it just didn't Wasn't working so unfortunately I couldn't get that to go But I'll put a picture of myself On the Patreon for you to have a look at of course, now I would wear... Like, if I was doing it now, I would wear a harness. on I would be so much more relaxed about my sexual identity and what I would be wearing. But at that point, I was so concerned about who was going to be consuming my image. Um, and as I've done this work, I've become less concerned with it. I mean, I am concerned still, always, but not to, so much to the extent that I was previously. Um... So, after each taping, we would all go out to... Actually, before I get to that point, I skipped a point. So, throughout the show, I tried to be as honest as I could be. There were points where the production team wanted us to create a caricature of ourselves and, like, really ramp up how, how much enjoyment we were having to, to make it look like we were having the best time. And I never really did that. I was always like, nope, this is the deal. This is who I am. Here it is. Um... always felt throughout the show that I had to be as honest as possible. And so whenever the cast would be talking about stuff that I wanted to experience, like certain clubs or certain sexual things that I hadn't experienced yet or couldn't experience due to disability, I felt it was my mission to bring that forward and that kind of ableism forward every single time that that was happening. Looking back on it, it was probably annoying as fuck. Um, But I felt it was extremely necessary to do that. I wanted the cast to understand that all the frivolity and fun they were bringing to to their queer experiences were things that I never got to do. And I still kind of do that in the work I do today. But I also wanted the people at home to understand that my queer experience was so much more different than what they were capturing in 22 minutes. And what, what, what I think about the show is that so... Those conversations, if you watch the show, those conversations only lasted about 22 minutes for the air. But we talked for two, two and a half hours when we taped. So there was so much deep stuff that they cut to create a certain image of queerness that all of us were kind of like, yeah, but also no, but this is not how we do it. Um, I also remember that during press things, Like, every week that we did it, we would do a picture of ourselves before it went out to air. We would do a picture of ourselves, like, at the studio. And I remember there were a few photos where we were all together. And I remember the able-bodied cast would be together, kind of holding each other. And I would always be off to the side, awkwardly not knowing what to do. And I really wish that I had been more... Upfront about wanting the, the the cast to involve me. Like, they would also sit on the couches for that show. They would sit on the couches beside each other and be all, like, touchy and feeling, And then I would be, because I was in my wheelchair, I'd be off to the side. Now, that's just a little thing, but I feel like they were able to bond over that kind of togetherness and because I wasn't able to sit in the chairs. And again, this is no one's fault. This is just an observation that I had when I was there. Because they were able to sit in the chairs with each other, they bonded, I think, as queer men, where I never got that experience. Um, again, that could be nothing, but that's sort of how I felt about it. Uh, I also felt sometimes that after each taping, we, we would all go out to grab drinks with each other, and then we'd go our separate ways. I really, in the beginning, I really wanted to use that time to bond with the cast. But that was often a difficult thing for me. And well, it wasn't anybody's fault really because we all did go out and have drinks and I was included in that. But again, the cast would sit on one side and I would tend to sit on one side with production. So all these little cliques would form. And I don't know if it's just a queer cultural thing or if if it was ableism, I'm not sure. But it felt like there's you and then there's me coming in and I don't quite know how to be a part of this. And... That's kind of a metaphor for how I feel about my queer community even now. I'm here doing the work to elevate my experience as a queer disabled man, and I did the work when I I was filming there too. But I still wonder, how do I bring myself into that? And even though people saw me on TV, and they saw me do my little seven shows where I was the, the queer disabled guy sharing my experience, which I'm very, very, very proud of, but I'm also always I always wanted to be in with them. I wanted to go to the clubs afterwards. I wanted to know the same guys they did. I wanted to come into the green room on the days we taped and have sexy stories to talk about, and I never did. And that was again no one's fault, but it felt really hard to sometimes connect with them in that way for me anyway. For me, it was it was a tough thing to navigate. And there was one point where I overly texted one of the guys a bunch because I wanted friendship and I wanted to use our involvement in the show to become friends. And at one point he said to me what he said to me in front of the cast, Wow, you really text a lot in this really weird sort of flippant way. And I just felt like, Oh, I'm just trying to make friends. And it was really a microcosm of the community and it taught me a lot about how much work we have to do with regards to ableism in our community. It was a, re- I mean, it was only seven episodes, it lasted two months, but it was a lot. It was a big experience in how to navigate the ableism within our queer community, which I talk about all the time. But it was very directed at that point. It was very, 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 very noticeable at that point. One thing I wish I had done differently on the show was I wish I had relaxed a little bit. I wish I had had more fun and stopped worrying about how disability was portrayed all the time. I wish I could have just relaxed and laughed a little bit more about the things because they were asking us questions like tell me your weirdest blowjob story or how do you give a blowjob or how would you eat a hot dog? Just really weird, ridiculous, innuendo-y questions which now I would answer with like complete hilarity. But at the time I was so concerned and i wish i had just relaxed a little bit more but it did teach me also how to talk and it, i really w- i didn't even how to talk about being queer and disabled and how to build i think w- through that experience i was building the brand i am now like it was the beginnings of what i'm doing now but in a different setting entirely and it was also being broadcast to this to canada initially and then again and then later in the states Anybody in America who has seen Season 5 of One Girl, Five Gays, let me know what you think about it. Let me know if my episodes aired on Logo and what you thought, and if you did watch it in either Canada or the States, do you have any thoughts on it? What did you think about the disability representation? Was it good enough, or should there have been more? I had a great experience on the show. It taught me a lot. It made me realize that I'd like to do something similar on this podcast, So if any queer disabled people want to be on a panel where we just ask each other ridiculous questions about our sex lives and joke about it via the podcast for a theme that is not a theme at all, just us sharing stories, I'd love to do that. If any production companies are creating content, queer content, and need a disabled person, please hire us to be on shows like that to share our experiences. Hire me, I'd love to be on a show like that again, MTV or Logo. If you're putting together something similar, hi, my name's Andrew Gerza, I've done this before. Hire other people. Hire people like Carrie Wade, Elena Leary. Hire hire people like Kirsten Schultz. Hire all of us to tell our stories. Um, and definitely consider queer, disabled people as part of these, these reality shows. Um, I really don't have much else to say about the show except it really... Taught me a lot about being queer. Taught me a lot about being disabled. And I'm glad that I could share my representation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll talk to you again soon. Just a tiny little production note for this episode. I was thinking about doing mini-episodes. Or mini-sodes. Of Disability After Dark. Like five to ten minute episodes every month. Where people... Not every week because that's way too much. And nobody wants to listen to that. But where people with and without disabilities call in and ask me sex and disability-related questions, and then I kind of answer them in a really quick 10-minute sort of like way, kind of like a Dear Abby or Dear Andy kind of thing. I don't know. It was just something that I was toying with. If you like this idea and you want to submit a minisode or a question for a minisode, and you're okay with your voice being dropped into the podcast, without any editing, you can send your question to Andrew at andrewgirza.com. You can record your question via your phone app, via the memo app on your phone is probably the best way to do it. Send that to me via email and I will answer your question in the podcast. And we'll try to do it once every month. We'll put out a mini sode. And if it goes well we'll put out more and more so that people can again not every week because that's annoying. But every, maybe every month to every three weeks to see what people think about sex and disability and get some, you know, real questions from real listeners. What do we think about that? Let me know via email, via Twitter. Let me know your thoughts on this idea and we'll go from there. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you. Head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Copyright notice: This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Cripple Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics. Music and audio recordings are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.